Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. And many of you who know Father Tim Grumbach will be very happy to know he's joining us to dive into whether or not defeat and victory are good for us. Have you ever really thought about that? Is defeat actually a good thing? I know sometimes when we're in the midst of it, it doesn't necessarily feel so. But sometimes victory isn't always the best for us. So we'll talk about whether or not they are good for us. We're going to talk about dreaming of happiness, unpacking a quote I posted this week on my social media on the feast day of St. Pope John Paul II, October 22nd. And it has been sitting with me all week since last week when I found it. And I want to talk about this beautiful quote from JP2 about dreaming of happiness from a homily he gave back in 2000. Isn't that incredible? A modern day saint, a modern day saint who he literally only said something so significant speaking to the lives most of us were alive in 2000. So we're going to talk about that as well as a report that came out. I touched on a little bit last week. It's a report that says that married moms are the happiest. Here's my question. Why? Because you can't contest this. The study comes out over and over again. Why are married moms the happiest? So if you're a husband, you know your wife's a super happy person. Why do you think that is? What about her being married and being a mom and all of that that comes into play? What makes her be one of the happiest people you know? Also, if you're a wife and a mother, why are you happy? I think it's an important question that many people who are searching for happiness want that secret ingredient. And this study shows time and time again that married moms are the happiest. So what are the secret ingredients? We'll unpack that today on Trending. If you have a thought or a question, especially, I always throw this question out there. It's our weekly happy hour. What's getting in the way of your happiness? How can we touch on that from a Catholic perspective? The number is 1-888-914-9149. You can always ask your question now on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm there. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Again, what's getting in the way of your happiness? It's our weekly happy hour. So it's interesting. Earlier this weekend, we were working through challenges with my baby girl. We have a lot of change going on right now, which I'm really excited to share some news about some changes. What more could be changing? We're already having a baby in December. We're, what, week 32 tomorrow? Uh, So we've got eight weeks to go, but lots of changes going on here. I'll be sharing news in the coming days and weeks. Uh, But she, my daughter, was just so fussy. And my mom was here visiting this weekend. And of course, you know, when your child, like, extra misbehaves when other people are around, I'm thinking, not now. 
and she kept saying something that I thought was really, really good reminder for all of you parents out there. This is why God made them cute, especially when they're in this like one transitioning into two and then the three-year-old, which I really, from everything I've seen, I think three-year-olds are the worst. Like we talk about terrible twos, but the terrorizing threes are real. So as we're dealing with un, just completely unreasonable, just little tantrums from my daughter, it's definitely character building. And I think that has to do a little bit with some of this study that came out addressing why married moms are the happiest. So let's actually talk about that because I think it's an important topic to unravel and really discuss it because I think it's at the forefront of what's happening in the culture. We live in a culture uh, that says you'll be happiest if you don't have kids. It's a myth though because the studies just don't verify this. They don't support it. So there's an annual American family survey that's done every year by Brigham Young University and Desiree News. Same results each year with one particular demographic, and that is moms who are married. Moms who are married have the highest level of satisfaction and happiness. Time and time again, this holds true. Now, I mentioned this a little bit last week you know, in relation to the feminism issue, that we see this most evident, for example, in the fact that the the reality is, is that conservative women statistically are more likely to get married and have children than quote unquote progressive women. In fact, they're two times more likely to be satisfied and get married and have children. The difference between a more conservative versus a progressive mindset when it comes to women is feminism. Feminism, radical, modern form of feminism, which again, I always object to this because I would love to say I'm a feminist. I believe in being pro-woman. I think that this is why a lot of people get upset when we bash on feminism, but modern day feminism, you can't call yourself feminism, a feminist per se, because that means you believe on in abortion and contraception on demand. You have animus against marriage. You're perfectly okay with a divorce. Uh, you're perfectly okay with serial relationships, including sexual relationships. And in fact, hey, it doesn't even have to be monogamous or heterosexual anymore. And you believe in normalizing relationships that are not uh, normative male-female relationships that provide the best outcome for a child. So, the feminist argument is an absolute lie. Everything that modern day feminism is, is exactly what is making people unhappy in that demographic of women. I mean, just think about it. This study annually shows from Brigham Young University the same results each year. Who are the happiest people? Married moms. Done. I don't think anyone actually has to, I don't think anyone has to kind of dispute this or discuss this because I think the reality is, is that the truth of the matter is no matter which way you slice it, the truth of the human person will always win. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he, he incorporated into our lives 
by the very creation of the human person, human desire, human anatomy, human physiology, human biology, in combination with the human soul, directs us as human beings to what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. And I think that this is a paradox of joy that our culture just isn't getting. Because this is a paradox of Jesus Christ. I started earlier by mentioning the fact that my toddler is just being a terrorist. And it can be totally unreasonable. And it can be so trying. And you don't know what to do. I can't even imagine when the teen years come. Uh, But the reality is, is that those are moments that form character. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But it's a paradox of joy. And this is a paradox of joy. Our Lord Jesus Christ didn't tell us things were going to be easy. He didn't say, hey, abandon all commitment like the radical forms of feminism today do. No, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 16. In fact, Jesus Christ says in John chapter 15, verse 11, I've told you these things so your joy may be complete. What God is trying to incorporate into our lives is specifically the truth of the human person, a blueprint for what we're called to so that we can thrive. And I really mean that so that we can thrive when we live our lives as human beings. And so we need to take a note from the playbook of married moms. What is significant about this group of people? Well, I would argue that they have structure. They show love and commitment. They embrace motherhood. And they show unconditional love. So let's break each of these down for just a moment. Structure. Well, they have the structure of marriage because it's married moms who are the happiest people out there year after year, which means that they're making a commitment, husband and wife to one another, that makes a relationship possible for them to have children in the best possible circumstances. Am I saying that every married couple is perfect? No. Am I saying that every married couple makes the best parents? No. What I'm saying is that that commitment to marriage that a married woman makes and that relationship and sticking with it, and especially the Catholic view of marriage, which is that marriage is permanent, that it's supposed to be fecundant, that we're supposed to have children, that we're supposed to be faithful, that we're totally supposed to give ourselves and enter into all of this freely, that provides the structure to provide the stability that both what mom needs and what children need. It's an automatic built-in support system. Yes, basing it off of genetic bonds and ties and carrying a child for nine months, but all of this points to what genetics, the great gift of human intimacy that creates and brings about new human life, all of this points toward a responsibility that we have with the very things we do with our lives, our bodies, what we create with our bodies. And we don't say this very often, but can I just say and remind us that sex is a creative act. It has the potential to bring about new human life. And that's a great and good thing. And it's meant to be within the context of marriage. There's a book I've read and I've talked about quite a bit here on Trending before uh, by the author is Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, who's been a regular guest here on Trending. She wrote the book some years ago, gosh, I think 20 to 30 years ago, called Love and Economics. 
everyone should read this. Every college age girl, every girl just out of college, every woman should read this. Men should read it too. You take an economist who's studying theology and she has this very simple breakdown of combining the economy and theology and philosophy, the pursuit of happiness. It makes it very clear that we've been lied to about the myth of feminism that no children, no marriage makes you happiest. It's a total lie. But she also talks about raising your kids and the important need psychologically, emotionally, spiritually that your children have for you specifically as a mother to be the primary caretaker. I know it's hard, but not outsourcing daycare and all of those things, childcare. We've talked about it here on Trending. We've had some real experts showing the true psychology on this. In fact, we'll include a link on social media as well as in the podcast episode notes uh, to Erica Komazar who joined me just a couple weeks ago. And she's a psychoanalyst who's one of the few people actually willing to talk about the real data because she's not scared at who's going to get mad at her about the importance of being there as a mother and really making sure that you're the one raising your child. And so we're going to talk, uh, again, we'll post a link to that on social media. Her book's excellent. The data is very clear. But here's what, in Loving Economics, by Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris, what she points out. An economist looking at theology, philosophy, and the human person and human happiness sees that a baby, it's very simple. When a baby is cared for by the mom and the mom is cared for and provided for by a loving, stable relationship of the father, married husband, that that's the best possible outcome for mom and baby, period. It's true. I've worked for years in the crisis pregnancy centers. I've seen women firsthand who are not in these circumstances. I've been in front of that abortion clinic and seen why people are turning to the worst possible choice that they can, not that they actually do want abortion, but because they don't have that stability, that loving commitment, that self-giving love from the spouse. So first, again, what I said was most, I think, important and what makes moms different. Married moms are the happiest people out there. This study shows time and time again every year is that structure, the structure of marriage and the commitment of marriage is the main part of that. We just broke that down. The second thing is loving commitment of vows should breed self-giving love. So it's one thing to get married, but it's another thing to actually achieve what it's supposed to do. So marriage is supposed to bring about life-giving, self-giving love, that we're supposed to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross with how we know, love, and serve one another. And it's never perfect. I'm not saying you get married, suddenly you're going to be this great giver, that you're going to be fantastically generous, that all of your faults are going to to go away. Actually, no, that's a challenge of marriage, is that you actually have to love someone in the face of all of those faults and annoying tics and new things that they develop. Love and responsibility is caring for another person together. And this comes about through also having children, taking two very selfish people. Let's be real. No matter how good we can be when we get married, we are far more selfish before children usually than after children. At least we would hope, right? And so what we see is that when you have a child in coming together as a team, husband and wife, mother and father, and caring for another person together, you should see your marriage strengthened, challenged, and grow. And this is part of the reason why married moms are some of the happiest people out there, because they're growing and challenging their marriages. We're actually going to talk a little bit later here with Father Tim Grumbach on Trending about defeat and victory. Are they good for us? Well, when you're a parent, you see a lot of 
defeat at times from a toddler who just screams and you have no clue why and they are terrorizing you to the challenges you may feel defeated in your own marriage. But through those challenges, you grow. If everything was honky-dory, there wouldn't be that level of growth. I always think of uh, the Vatican document, Gaudium et Spes, where in section 24, when talking about how we're made male and female in God's image and likeness, that it says in God, it says, the likeness reveals that man, who is the only creature on earth, which God willed for itself, cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. So this quote from God, it says, one of the church's teachings, uh, dives into this idea. And again, when it's using man, it's talking about humanity, not just male or female, like not one or the other. That the only, that by being made in God's image and likeness, it shows that the only way we can truly come to know ourselves is through giving ourselves away, through a sincere gift, not a, hey, I know I should do this, so I'm going to do that. That's good. If you know you should do something, you should do it. But ultimately, working toward not just doing the right movement, but taking yourself and pouring yourself out in the midst of it, that self-emptying love where we empty ourselves completely, giving ourselves over to another human being, that's what Jesus Christ models on the cross. And Catholic theology, we call that kenosis. In theology, it's a total self-emptying and pouring out. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This is why, in a certain respect, we can understand the theology of the Eucharist. God totally gave himself body, blood, soul, divinity. And this is why we can receive him time and time again, because he is God and he is that eternal sacrifice that is always made present in the Eucharist. So again, that second thing was a love and commitment and those vows we make should lead to life-giving, self-giving love in the spouses. That's why women who are married and have children are the happiest in these studies. Third, mothers who embrace motherhood choose joy in the most mentally and emotionally tough moments that build character. Embracing motherhood is difficult. Those moments can be so challenging. I don't have to spell them out. If you're not a parent, you see a parent, you go, I don't know how she does it. If you are a parent, you say, I don't know how I've done this. Or maybe if you have years more advanced work, you know, I look at the things that my mom has done in embracing motherhood. It's made her a better, happier person. She even says over and over again, she never thought she was going to have children. It just didn't dawn on her. Maybe, you know, you were that same way. And when she was pregnant with me, because I'm the oldest of four kids, she thought I was a tumor. She thought that I was something that, <laughs> like, literally something was wrong with her, that I was a tumor. Um, but lo and behold, I was not a tumor. I was timory. Um and so this is the truth of reality. Embracing motherhood radically transforms us. And if you, in the modern day feminist culture, just think of a baby as a tumor, in the pro-abortion mindset, well, then you have a whole lot of loss and missing out on the reality of what motherhood is. Fourth, pour, pouring out unconditional love into another human being is what moms do. And that pouring out of that unconditional love is what makes moms so happy and incredible. Happy and incredible. I think that's important because it's, again, that paradox of the gospel that Jesus Christ literally says, take up your cross and follow me in Matthew chapter 16. Motherhood is challenging. If we actually rise to the occasion, the, the biblical worldview of what motherhood is meant to be, which means presence, not ditching our kids for careers or whatever it might be, 
Not, not, not saying it's so hard. I'm not a good mom. Other people are better at the me. Saying, no, I am called to be the best mom to this child that I can be. Not better than someone else. The best mom to this child that I can be. And that takes fighting yourself. That takes unconditional love. I remember a dear friend, a psychologist friend of mine said, um, there's, and she's Canadian as well. Uh, it's okay, we'll forgive her and Kale Clark. Uh, but she would talk about how in psychology, there's a lot of conversation about what is called disinterested love. And that is the best kind of love from like a secular worldview. That is that I am giving myself totally to you and I'm expecting nothing back. Nothing back. And with that, with that total gift that we're giving, that's total life-giving, self-giving love. That is unconditional love. And it's really, I think it was mind-boggling. It was life-changing when I heard her say that. It's disinterested love. Because there are a lot of people who love us but place conditions on that love. Not that they always do it intentionally, but often because of our own brokenness, we can do this to ourselves and others. That's why this unconditional love that moms are meant to learn to show is actually a foretaste for a child of who God is. And a lot of people have a difficult time grasping who God is or embracing God because they didn't receive that unconditional love. Kids suck you dry. It's easier when they're a baby in the respect that they're really cute. They can't talk back, right? And they can scream, but their level of scream, at least for my child, is not as bad as the two-year-old and three-year-old scream can be. <laughs> they're just so cute. You have that patience, right? That's what my mom said to me this weekend when my my toddler was being a terror. She said, good thing they're cute. God made them cute for a reason <laughs> because they're exerting their wills. They're working through how to communicate. So this is the reason why married moms are the happiest people out there. And the study shows this over and over again. And these are just some of my thoughts. I would love to hear if you have other thoughts. But one, the structure of marriage helps to bring this about. The love and commitment of vows should breed self-giving love in both spouses. Third, mothers who embrace motherhood choose joy in the most mentally and emotionally difficult circumstances. And remember, joy is a grace, not just moment-to-moment fleeting happiness. And fourth, they pour out unconditional love into another human being and should expect nothing in return. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It is our weekly happy hour. Father Tim Grumbach is with us in just a moment here. And we're going to unpack, I think this is an important topic, defeat and victory. Are they good for us? Especially defeat. Is defeat good for us? And we'll talk about dreaming of happiness. I'll be right back here on Trending. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour. What's getting in the way of your happiness? Let us know. Ask your question. We'll answer from Catholic perspective. The number is 1-888-914-9149. We're going to talk about defeat and victory. Are they good for us? Have you ever thought about that? Is victory always good for you? Is defeat good for you at all? Uh, we'll also dive into this idea of how we're, we all dream of happiness. And 
with this past week being the feast day of Pope St. John Paul II, I was reading up on some quotes of his and a homily, and I came across this incredible, incredible homily, a quote from 2000 that talks about dreaming of happiness, what we're looking for. So stay with me. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Joining me now is Father Tim Grumbach. He's a chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He works with Net Ministries, Focus Ministries, with Life Teen. Here, he's been with us for many years now in Trending with Tim Marie, volunteering his heart, his talents, uh, his priesthood in so many ways, especially to young people. Father Tim, welcome back to Trending. Let's talk about defeat and victory. I think these are really relevant topics when it comes to happiness. We often want to reject defeat and always just chase that victory. But really, are they both good for us or bad for us? Well, I've got to say before anything else that defeat and I seem to have become very good friends over the last couple of weeks, it feels like. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I was at the uh, <laughs> the last Dodger game I went to. I mean, just bringing up the Dodgers in this last week has been a sore subject in Los Angeles. Uh, but uh, with them getting knocked out of the playoffs after having the best record in the regular season in all of Major League Baseball. And, uh, you know, I went to a game in the last week of the season. And, uh, you know, it wasn't going well. And uh, I may have, like, under my breath said some, uh, some, said some curse words uh, as the uh, – the, as the Rockies were hitting home runs. And, uh, um, but there was a, a, a lady sitting behind me who was just like every single sentence that she had to say had an F-bomb or something else in oh, it. No. She had nothing nice to say about anybody. And it was, it was rough. Uh, I was uh, just kind of wondering uh, when it was going to stop. Uh, not, you know, again, not, not just judging her, but kind of looking at my own heart too, of like how I was dealing with our, our defeat uh, even if it was a game that seemed like it meant nothing. But I noticed that the only time that, you know, these this language wasn't being used behind me is like she was like looking at her phone and scrolling through social media or something like that. And, and I'm like, I don't want to live that kind of life where, uh, you know, defeat leads to that kind of uh, attitude and that kind of language only to be mollified by scrolling through my technology. And, uh, you know, I don't want to judge her interior life, but what I could see and what I can hear is like, that's not the kind of life I want to live in the face of defeat. That's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And then um, with, uh, you know, with our school at Alamany, you know, I, I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, a couple of our teams have had some tough losses in the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I got to be careful what I say now, because I was in campus ministry uh, last week, like right or a couple of weeks ago, right after I was last on with you, Tenry. And one of my seniors came in and she was like, Father Tim, who cusses a lot here in campus ministry? <laughs> and it turns out she was listening to the show, and I had said something about that. And uh, and so it's great that my seniors are, are listening to you, Tim Marie, and uh, they hear me on the show. Uh, but it was just kind of funny to hear that. That's uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to give my school that kind of reputation. But uh, uh, we were at a uh, one of our volleyball games. Our, our girls' volleyball is so good. So they're they're like the victory in my life at this point. <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, at one of the games, it was a really tough opponent. It was like, you know, this team is like number 15 in the nation or something like that. And, and we were holding our own for a little bit and then started to fall behind. And I was with some of the dads just hanging out in the back, uh, the back row in, in our gym uh, at our home game. And they were just letting the refs have it. You know, the refs made some bad calls, but they were just letting the refs have it. And I was almost a little embarrassed by how they just wouldn't let these things go. And I don't think it would have looked great 
if uh, if the visiting team watched our dads acting that way. Uh, you know, I've got to talk to them and kind of you know, encourage them a little bit more. And I know it comes out of this deep love for their daughters and wanting to see their daughters succeed and be victorious. And so they're not they're not bad guys by any stretch of the imagination. They are they are just lovely fathers in every other experience I've had with them. But it's just all of this together, you know, from from uh, professional sports to uh, to my students and how they're performing in their athletics. You know, there's there's been some some defeats that we've had to face. And I've seen it handled very poorly in some cases. But then a friend of mine just the other day was like, but you know what? Defeat can be good for the soul and victory can be really bad for the soul because neither inherently is good. Nobody likes defeat. Nobody's like, oh, I can't wait to lose, right? (laughs) But when when it comes down to what it can do to our soul, uh, sometimes losing can be better for our soul than victory. Victory can make you complacent sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I say uh, jokingly that, you know, defeat has kind of become our friend uh, in the <laughs> last couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, my hope is to walk with these students of ours if they face any of these defeats and help them see this is, you know, this is not just about happiness. This is about greatness. And your soul isn't made happy by victory, but mm-hmm. it, it, can be, it can be made great by defeat sometimes. Let's talk about defeat a little bit more because you and I were talking about this a little earlier and I've really been pondering it. You know, defeat really does humble us, but I also think it's realistic, Father Tim. When we experience defeat, uh, it shows us the reality that one, life just isn't fair, two, we're not the best. And three, sometimes, again, coming back to that life isn't fair, sometimes you just don't get what you think you deserve or maybe you actually do deserve. I think of how I learned this and, you know, I remember what my parents would talk to me about is the politics of the world, like the politics of dance. So I grew up dancing and performing and auditioning for parts and not competitive dancing at all. It was all performance, classically trained. And uh, some of you guys know I dance with the Russian Ballet Company in Washington, D.C. in the summer, the Kirov. And it was always interesting, Father Tim, because there were a lot of moments where sometimes, yes, you know, you got what you wanted. You got the part. Uh, things were great, right? But there were a lot of moments through the years for, at a very young age where I'd experienced, you know, uh, rejection, the respect that you didn't get the part you wanted, or you got, I didn't get a part I thought that I deserved over someone else that maybe I th- I thought, or other people thought too, uh, weren't as talented at a particular part, let's say in the Nutcracker. I performed in the Nutcracker hundreds of times, and we had an incredible production. Oh, it's making me nostalgic this time of the year. I can't wait for the Nutcracker. It's been hard the last couple of years with all the COVID restrictions, not seeing it. Uh, but it's interesting, Father Tim, because you. I also learned that often people will even have unrealistic expectations. So, for example, you know, I had an audition for different ballet companies. I mentioned the Russian Ballet Company in Washington, D.C., the Kirov or Jockey or the San Francisco Ballet Company. And different places had different standards, such as it used to be, I've not been up with the trends lately, but the San Francisco Ballet Company used to have these awful expectations that you basically had to be anorexic and really tall in order to dance with their company and it was unrealistic and facing rejection in the face of that you had to realize sometimes expectations just aren't realistic and even though you think that you might you know deserve something it doesn't matter what other people want it uh, doesn't fit what you can have and sometimes that's hard when you look at it as a very rejection of your own body you know I'm not tall enough I'm five two that's a joke <laughs> and, and you know you're not you know, are you willing to sacrifice everything and literally 
literally become anorexic or bulimic to achieve what they want from you. And so I think that, you know, defeat really does help in teaching the reality of life and the politics of life. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about that the last couple of months because I have a heart issue that comes up from time to time. The the doctors have said, it's not going to kill me, but it's something I've got to be aware of. And it it kind of flared up a little bit one day uh, a couple of months ago. And I slept really badly. I woke up the next morning and was still feeling it. I'm like, I'm just, I I need to go to the doctor. But it eventually calmed down. And uh, just the the prayer that came out of that was so beautiful is that I, I am not as strong as I want to be or as I think I am. And there's a very important lesson there is that I've spent so much of my life trying to be stronger and faster and better that when the Lord reveals, you know, gracefully and graciously reveals to me that I am not as strong as I think I am or as I want to be, um, that points to the cross. And I know just a little bit ago you were talking about the kenosis, about the self-emptying. And so people could look at Jesus on the cross and say, that's a defeat. If you don't know mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. three days later, then Jesus dying on the cross, was that was the end of the story. The cross had the final word. And it didn't. And, uh, you know, that word kenosis comes right from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the way that he uses that word in that middle of that, that Christological hymn, that, that hymn about Jesus and his self-emptying, ultimately about his exaltation, that, you know, you, he entered into death in order to enter into the greatest life. It's like, that's, the, that's not the Messiah that the Philippians wanted to meet. Incredibly, right. they were... The, they were the, the veterans of the Roman war machine. They were the victors. The, you, know, you look at the, the history and the archaeology of Philippi as a Roman colony in Greece, and they were obsessed with themselves. They had statues and plaques all over the place. And so for St. Paul to write to the Philippians, who are tempted toward this culture of honor, that Jesus was exalted because he emptied himself. That was not the Jesus they wanted to meet, but it was the Jesus they needed to meet. Mm -hmm. And so we don't like defeat. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes defeat. Nobody Mm -hmm. likes humility. It's not fun, but it could be the best thing for our soul that actually enlarges our soul, ennobles our soul, rather than making it merely mediocre. It's a paradox of joy, right? It's a paradox of the gospel, the scandal of the cross, that in the midst of that defeat, uh, seeming defeat, that there's a victory and there's transformation. Uh, and I think sometimes we have to be defeated in order to win, but win in a different way we don't realize. Uh, I know a lot of people really love Jocko Willink, the retired Navy SEAL. And when he talks about failure and defeat, his response is, okay, good. Like that's his response. Good. You failed. So pick yourself back up and move forward. And that's really significant coming. If you think about it from someone who's a retired Navy SEAL, who failure literally meant life or death for him, his fellow Navy SEALs, or those people he was going in to save through his mission. And so for him to be able to say, you failed, good, it's a lesson, it's a reminder for us because the stakes are very great for him if failure occurred. But bringing it full circle, Father Tim, back to Jesus Christ and that paradox of happiness, that paradox of joy, the paradox of the scandal, the defeat of the cross, I even just keep thinking when you mentioned this earlier about Matthew chapter 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And if you walk through the Beatitudes, pretty much all of the Beatitudes are seemingly a lesson in worldly failure, but 
heavenly glory uh, from, you know, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, who are meek and hungry, those who are merciful, uh, even those who are pure in heart. In our modern day culture, you know, if you aren't cutthroat, uh, you tend to lose. You lose money, you, you lose position, you lose status. And you even have, you know, this idea of being persecuted. Jesus Christ talks about being reviled and cursed. That's a win in Jesus' book. And he says, that's what inherits the kingdom of heaven. And so I think this whole topic that you're touching on of how defeat can be good for us uh, should be mind-opening for us from a Catholic perspective that that is what we need to allow ourselves to embrace and endure, but be transformed by. Yeah, yeah, transformation is so key. It's right again, I'll say it over and over again. Defeat in itself is not good, but the transformation that can come out of it. Um, you mentioned I, I do a lot of work with Net Ministries. I just actually spent time with uh, Team 5 is here in Southern California this year. And I just had them on campus for a, just a day of uh, prayer, reflection, re- relaxation. Uh, I kind of hid them from our students because they spent so much time with teenagers. They needed just time to pray by themselves. But one of the young women was asking me, like, what about Jesus's words on the cross? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Mm-hmm. And what, what does that mean? And it just struck me, you know, like St. John of the Cross. And, you know, all the mystics say that Jesus so entered into our greatest desolation in our humanity. So we might be lifted up to his greatest exaltation in his divinity. And so Jesus is, yeah, he's probably quoting Psalm 22, which starts as a great defeat about being, feeling abandoned by God, but it turns into a victory hymn at the end. We proclaim it to all the nations and all the generations to come. And so when we hear Jesus, his cry of dereliction from the cross of, of being abandoned, like certainly he felt that, but in the resurrection, there's this realization for us that the Father never left the Son, but he did feel that deepest pit of desolation that we can encounter ourselves so as to transform it from the inside. That's the only reason the Son of God would go into that kind of uh, feeling of absence, that kind of abandonment, so that he could defeat it from the inside, transform it from the inside, and make holy our defeat. And so when we talk about how defeat can be good for the soul, it's not because of anything that we do. It has to be a grace. It's something we have to ask for. And so maybe a prayer at the end of every defeat is, oh, Lord, this doesn't feel good but make something out of it, transform it, make mm-hmm. me new out of it. So it's, it's, it's something we ask for. It's not something we accomplish. That's Father Tim Grumbach, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, talking about a perspective shift when it comes to defeat, how defeat can be good for our lives, our body, our soul, our minds. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about dreaming of happiness. Isn't it something that we all want? Well, a great saint, Saint Pope John Paul II, had something to say about happiness and what we desire and what quenches that thirst for happiness. Join me and Father Tim Grumbach here in just a moment, back on Trending. Don't go away. And if you want to share or ask a question, something that's getting in the way of your happiness, we'll answer it from a Catholic perspective. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. 
Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on trending. What's getting in the way of your happiness? We'd love to hear from you. Happy to answer your question. The number is 1-888-914-9149. We're talking about earlier how married moms are the happiest people out there. Time and time again, the study shows us. I broke down why. If you weren't with me, you really do need to go back and listen. Whether you're considering having children, suffering as a mother, suffering as a spouse, these are really important things that call us into why married moms can be the happiest people out there. But Christina is on the line, and she did have a thought as to why married moms are the happiest people out there. Christina, real quick, I would love to hear your thought on this. Hello? We can hear you. Okay. I just wanted to say that um, I think one of the major things that contribute to happiness is being grateful and having gratitude for the things in your life. So I think the reason why married moms are so happy is because they have so many blessings to be grateful for. Mm, Krista, sorry, I got your name right. I agree. I think gratitude is something you have to learn as a mom. Otherwise, you take for granted the moment to moment or you suffer in the midst of the challenging. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I would absolutely agree. And even when, like when you're going through day to day, like, you don't want to do the dishes, but be happy you did the dishes because that means you had food on your table. Like, it's mm-hmm. just little things like that, just changing your perspective of being thankful with for what's in your life. Mm, I agree. I've been a bit of a brat this pregnancy, and there are moments where I really just don't want to do those simple things. They're like taking care of the dishes. And it is, it's that moment of, okay, get over myself and be grateful. I get to take care of my family. And how awesome is this? And the simple thing of just washing this dish, it is an act of love. And I'm grateful for that opportunity as hard as it can be in those moments. So thank you, because I really do appreciate that insight, Krista. And it's not something that I had thought of when talking about this earlier that gratitude is a part of what makes moms who are married the happiest people out there. So if you missed that conversation, you've got to go check it out uh, here on Trending. Subscribe, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. We're there, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, you name it. We're there. Take us with you on the road and maybe share this episode with someone who is really thinking about not having children. I was out at a pumpkin patch this weekend with my mom and uh, my husband and this woman who was pregnant got really excited to come up and talk to me because she's pregnant too. But I was fascinated. This stranger kept going on and on about how, you know, she thought she was done, one and done. And then, you know, they left their options open. They're having a second, but this is it. They're done. And my heart always breaks when I hear people say that uh, because, you know, we we cut ourselves off in this feminist worldview, this myth that one child, two children, no children, no spouse is what will make us happiest. It's a lie. It's an absolute myth. And this study and others debunk it. And this is why we have to share this episode. So please use it as a resource for someone you know who's considering just not having children or struggling. You're listening to Trending with Timmer here on Relevant Radio. Father Tim Grumbach is here with me today. He's the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Father Tim, we just celebrated the feast day of Pope St. John Paul II, and beloved saint changed my life in many ways with his writings and example. And I came across a homily that he gave back in August of 2000, where he talks, he talked about the Eucharist and he talked about happiness, uh, this idea of dreaming of happiness. And I want to walk through it. Uh, he said, it is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He's waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He's the beauty to which you are attracted 
It is he who provokes you with a thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the mask of a false life. And Pope St. John Paul II continues and says, It is he who stirs you in the desire to do something great with your lives. Father Tim, when you uh, read through this homily from JP2, talking about dreaming of happiness, let's walk through it piece by piece. What stood out to you? I love this homily. He's speaking to the young people at a World Youth Day. And I was reading through it again today. And it's so much about the, the grace that faith is, but also the grace of martyrdom. And he's calling these young people to martyrdom. It's amazing. He says, you might not die uh, like the great martyrs of the past and, and some of those who struggle today uh, and lose their lives. But what you are called to as young people is that greatness and that happiness that comes from Jesus alone. So everything you're seeking. And so that paragraph alone, there were a few things that struck me. He says, you're not going to settle for compromise, that you are going to refuse to let yourself be grounded down by mediocrity. And that uh, you're just, um, you have this desire to do something great with your lives. And so that word mediocrity has been something on my mind a lot lately. And I, I think that, uh, you know, is the, the opposite of martyrdom. Martyrdom is this great and noble soul while trying to maintain our lives uh, just for comfort is mediocrity. And I, I love that word mediocrity itself. It literally means like the middle of the mountain, like our middle-sized mountain. And so it's like, yeah, you've, you've gone up a little bit, but then you stopped. Or, you, yeah, you've climbed a mountain, but it's not the tallest mountain that you can climb. And so he is warning us against mediocrity by saying, it is greatness, this happiness that you're dreaming about. That's Jesus that you're looking for. And so that's, that's what I love about it is he's actually, he's not afraid to call young people to martyrdom. But with that comes, again, this is also from St. John of the Cross, is that he says, sometimes we'll ask for martyrdom, but God will answer that prayer in a different way by giving us, more importantly, the love of the martyrs, if not the death. And we'll wonder, why didn't I die like a martyr? I wanted to die like a martyr. And God will pretty much say, well, I gave you the love of the martyr, which was more important. Uh, so which, what is more important, this outward external death or the inward dying of the cross and the resurrection that happens through love? And so JP2 is not afraid to call the younger generation to that kind of martyrdom and that kind of love. And that's the happiness that he's talking about here. Mm. It's so interesting that you talk about that, bringing the connection to martyrdom and everything, because just the opening line of Pope John Paul II's words, it is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He's waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. We live in a culture where we think it's uh, materialism, it's achievement, it's a job, it's a, a certain level of education that makes us happiest. But what Pope St. John Paul II is saying is that when you're dreaming of happiness, it's a person that is waiting for you on the other side of that happiness. It's not an ideal. It's not an idea. Uh, it's a real person. And that person is Jesus Christ, who is God. When nothing else satisfies you, you can either go chasing every other thing or you can get to the cut to the chase and understand that now. Yeah. And I, I go back to um, that, that mediocrity against like the nobility that, JP2 is calling us and calling the young people towards. And I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks, too, especially since the Sunday gospel reading a couple of Sundays ago was the parable of the, uh, the unjust judge and the importune widow. And so the widow is constantly demanding 
you know, fight for my justice. And the judge refuses over and over again until he's afraid that he, she's going to come and give him a black eye. I think that's the literal Greek is give him a black eye. Um, I'm not joking. Um, St. Paul uses it later on as well. But that uh, the judge is this mediocre soul who thinks he has happiness because he has all the power. But he's mediocre because he has the power. He's accomplished a lot, but he uses it only for himself and not for those who need it the most, like the widows in that society, especially. And then when he does work justice out, it's at his, it's for his convenience. That's what makes a mediocre soul. And so we're, we're seeking all of this success in our society and accomplishment like that judge. But if we're doing it only at our, for our convenience, that, that's a mediocre soul. And Jesus, uh, say, John Paul II says that Jesus is the one you're looking for that whole time. And so the widow could be more of that noble soul. Like she knows that justice is demanded for her. And even if other people refuse her, she's not going to stop demanding it. And her suffering actually makes her look more like Jesus hanging on the cross. And so it's not just a matter of look to Jesus and how miraculously powerful he was and how many friends he had. And that's the happiness you're seeking. But again, he points back to martyrdom, to Jesus Mm -hmm. on the cross. And so if you're mm-hmm. seeking that happiness, you're seeking the, the happiness of being able to give yourself away. Like, who's going to get to the end of their life and say, I wish I had more stuff? Uh, <laughs> right. Or are they going to say, I wish I had more people to share my stuff with? That's where mm-hmm. we're going to find the happiness because it's built into us. Mm. And compromise is something that I think as a culture we really struggle with in the 21st century in this era of moral relativism, you know, you do you, I do me, your truth is your truth, mine is mine. And when Pope St. John Paul II, this quote says, it is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness, and then says, it is he who provokes you with the thirst for the fullness mm. that will not let yeah. you settle for compromise. You know, I we know deep down inside our conscience is working, that God-given identity is there, that when we're compromising, when we're settling for less than what is true, good, beautiful, when we're settling for our own ugliness and bad habits and sin, that's Christ pulling us, provoking us into the fullness of our humanity when we're saying, you know what, maybe I should do otherwise. And we can either choose to ignore Jesus Christ, who is, again, provoking, as Pope St. John Paul II, us into that fullness of our humanity, or we can just have that desire for God be completely stymied by the modern relativistic culture of you do you that is so deeply getting in the way of joy in Jesus Christ. And I love that language of provoke. Jesus is provoking us. When we think of being provoked or provoking someone else, that's like the stubbornness, like I'm not going to stop even though you want me to. And so that isn't, don't we want Jesus to provoke us towards the greater happiness rather than letting us settle for these? Like, uh, St. Teresa of Avila says, yeah, don't worry, your father's not going to uh, just give you material wealth and success. He's a much better father than that. He's not so poor a father as that. Uh, and so he's going to give you the greatest things that you may not even know your heart longs for the most. That's Father Tim Grumbach from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We've tagged him on social media. And hey, if you want to meditate on this on this specific passage from Pope St. John Paul II, you know, write it down. I post on social media along with a really, really wonderful, fun, young photo of JB2 actually shaving. I love it. Check it out on my social media. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Are the morally depraved turning to the ancient traditions of the church? I'm talking about those that are considered pretty ancient, traditional. 
Is it just for the beauty? Is it for the conversion? Secular young people are turning in droves to admire the old school Catholic tradition. We're going to talk about why and if this is bringing about a great conversion. Join me Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.